wrong verses. We're actually going to go through the end of the chapter uh, this morning, or the end of the book, all the way through verse 24. Uh, so if you would, open your Bibles to uh, the book of Jude, and if you have trouble finding it, just go to the last book of your Bible, the book of Revelation, and go back just one book to the book of Jude, just a little one-chapter uh, book or one-chapter letter uh, in your Bibles, the book of Jude. We're looking at the, at the topic of apostasy, and as we looked at apostasy, we described apostasy as nothing more than people who know or have some knowledge of God uh, and have decided to turn against God. So that's what an apostate is or, or the topic of apostasy, people who have come to a knowledge of God and turned their back on God. So I went as far as to say, as Jude has said, and it's a letter that uh, the people he, writing, uh, he was writing to have come to the point where they're apo, uh, really in the point of being apostates themselves. And certainly I would say that much of America is in that uh, category uh, as, we, uh, as we live our lives today. Uh, in this section of Jude's letter, he gives examples of apostasy uh, from Jewish history. And we're going to look at several of those examples that he gives uh, as a backdrop for what apostasy was in the early days of the church. When I'm talking about the church now, I'm talking about the Jewish church as it existed in the Old Testament. And we'll bring it forth, forward into the New Testament era. <laughs> uh, so we're talking about the Old Testament Jewish people and what God expected of them and how they did not do it quite like uh, God wanted it to be done and, and compare that to where we are today. You know, many years ago, uh, Berlin and I uh, lived in West Virginia, and um, uh, we were on a tight budget. You know, I was working hard, and she was working hard, and we were raising our family, and uh, we had a washing machine that decided it didn't want to wash clothes very well anymore. So uh, being on a tight budget, we decided, I shouldn't say we, I decided to go and try to fix it myself, much like Pastor Mike was talking about a little more uh, a little while ago about his uh, uh, bathtub. Well, I uh, talked to a friend of mine who knew a lot about appliances, he told me. And so he came over and we took the back off the washing machine and he looked at it and he said, I needed a new transmission. That's a part of the washing machine if you don't know anything about him. And he said, I knew a place in Pittsburgh uh, about 60 miles away from us. And so I called him and it was a lot cheaper. But the, the one problem was that if I ordered the part and got it, they would not take it back. Uh, so it was a one-shot deal. You could save a lot of money, but they wouldn't take it back. Uh, so I talked to my friend again. I said, are you sure that this transmission is the problem with the washing machine? He said, yeah, no problem. So ordered a couple days later, it came, and uh, we took the back off again and put the new transmission in and fired it up, and guess what? <laughs> that wasn't the problem. So I, I had spent, I think it was about 50 or $60 at that point, which back then was a lot of money, uh, and the washing machine didn't work. And uh, so I, I looked at Berlin, my wife, and do you think she was happy with this ordeal? No, not really. So uh, my friend and I didn't know quite what to do, so Berlin uh, insisted, and I will say she insisted that we call a, an appliance repair person, which was a thing I didn't want to do because they cost money, more money than I wanted to spend. But the, the appliance repair guy came out, and I wasn't home. I was working when he got there, and uh, he fixed it by putting a different part on the machine, and uh, he didn't take the old part back and give us our, 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 the money back either. So I spent the money on the part, spent money on another part, and the appliance repairman, and he had one piece of advice for, uh, for my wife uh, for the future. And it was a great piece of advice, and I've heeded it to this point when it comes to washing machines. He said, in the future, never allow your husband to try to fix the washing machine again. You see, 
the problem was not that we couldn't diagnose the problem. We, we diagnosed what we thought the problem was, but we had no idea how to fix it. And that's kind of where Jude was here. He wanted to help the Christians that he was writing to to understand. You can identify the problem possibly of apostasy in the church, but I don't want you just to be able to identify the problem of apostasy in the church. And I want to tell you right now, I don't want you just to be able to identify the problem of apostasy in the church in America. We can all identify the problem of apostasy in the church today. It's not that hard. But Jude wants us to understand how to deal with it in the church and to have the courage to do it. So that's where we're going this morning. Not only dealing with apostasy, but what to do with it and how to, how to fix it. So Jude not only deepens our understanding of apostasy, but challenges us again with what to do with it. And again, apostate. An apostate is someone who has believed or at least challenged and understood the concepts of God and decided he doesn't want to follow God. So remember, Jude is the one who's writing this. He's the half-brother of Jesus, most likely. He has an understanding of Christ. He's a Christ follower. And as Pastor Mike reminded us, the whole theme of the book of Jude is he encourages us as Christians to stand firm in our faith in the midst of very difficult times. And then he introduces us in verses 5 through 7 to examples of apostates out of the Old Testament. The first one is an example out of Egypt. And as you recall, as the Jews were coming out of Egypt in verses 5 through 7, um, there was some excitement, obviously, about coming out, but they were not very faithful to God. And God had encouraged them to do certain things as they were coming out, and they were not faithful. The Bible Knowledge Commentary makes these comments about this journey in the life of the Jewish people. The first example, again, being Egypt. Egypt is mentioned as a reminder of the fact that most of the Israelites who left Egypt were not faithful. An entire Now listen to this carefully. An entire generation perished in the wilderness because of their unbelief. An entire generation of people, of Jewish believers, they called themselves, people who we would identify with would be modern-day Christians. They had identified with God. They were followers of God, but they disobeyed God in coming out of Egypt. What God had asked them to do, they disobeyed, and that entire generation died because of their disbelief. That's one example. We're not going to spend a lot of time developing these things because hopefully most of you have an understanding, but you can go back to the book of Genesis and follow them if you want. The second example he gives is that of the angels. This is in verse 6. And again, the commentator makes some observations about angels. He says, uh, uh, among the angels were those who had uh, obviously done their thing and, and remained true to God. Uh, they remained in their first abode. They stayed in heaven because they were faithful to God. But there were those who decided to rebel against God in heaven. The perfect atmosphere. Now, how in the world can you be an angelic being different than human? They had the nature of spirits. They were perfect in every way. And yet they decided to rebel. How do you do that? Now, in my mind, I cannot grasp how they would do that, to be honest with you. Spirit beings in a perfect atmosphere, but they decided to rebel. But the writer goes on. Their first desire was to not follow God, but to rebel against God and against the authority of God. So they were bound for judgment in that time. They were bound for judgment until the great day, this commentator says, which is defined for us in the book of Revelation. Uh, the way the Jude referred to the angels gives us reason to believe that this was common knowledge that they were held until the day of final judgment, and they are still there to this day. 
so Satan being one of them, and you can find him described in uh, the book of Isaiah chapter 14, uh, called a, a great uh, angel, and he was cast out of heaven, and there were many angels that followed him. And again, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail of that. You can follow that on your own. Uh, look in your uh, concordance or whatever under fallen angel or, uh, or uh, demons, and you can follow that and study that on your own. But, but what Jude is saying is, look, I want to give you examples. The Jews uh, fell into a, apostasy, and God uh, judged an entire generation, and they died. Uh, God also dealt with angels, uh, demons, in the same way. When they rebelled against him, he, he took them and he cast them into hell. And he's holding them there for all eternity until he comes and judges them during the end times. So he wants you to understand that he's serious about this thing called apostasy. But he doesn't stop there. I want to read to you one more thought on angels. And this comes from Nelson's uh, dictionary, Bible dictionary. They say heavenly beings or divine messengers created by God when, rebelled, when they rebelled against him and were cast out of heaven. The Lord or prince of these fallen angels is Satan, and that's described in Revelation chapter 12. Fallen angels or messengers continue to serve Satan, but their power is limited. Judgment awaits them in the future. The fallen angels referred to in 2 Peter chapter 2, and here again in Jude chapter 6, are possibly the beings referred to as sons of God in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Sons of God uh, and married uh, daughters of men. That's kind of a difficult passage to look at. But again, this is why you should read your whole Bibles and study your whole Bibles so you get the context of what Jude is talking about. So these uh, supreme beings, some call angels, spirit beings, demons, uh, were involved in humanity as well. And God has judged them. They were sons of God. There is no real distinction between fallen angels and demons. So I think that's something to keep in mind as we read. So then he goes on one step further in verse 7. And he talks about the illustration of Sodom and Gomorrah. What we know about Sodom and Gomorrah is they were never raised up again. Those cities have never been rediscovered, and they never will be because God judged them. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns were judged because of the immorality of those cities. They were horrible. Homosexuality and every other kind of immorality that you could think of were in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God judged them. Now again, I'm not going to go into all the details of these examples because you can look them up and read about them on your own. What I want you to understand is Judas saying the apostasy in his day, in the New Testament era, was likened unto that of the Old Testament. And God judged them and wiped them out. Do you get the picture? Apostasy is very, very, very serious. And as it existed in the New Testament, Jude wants us to understand that as it comes in the future from him, and I am saying as president in our day, God is just as serious about it today. So as we go on in verses 8 through 16, he's going to deal with the apostasy that was in his day, and I am saying is in ours as well, the action of the apostates in our present time, in his present time. They were rejecting authority. Now, if there's one thing I think that you would have to agree with in today, in the Western culture particularly, and that is that people reject authority. They reject political authority. They reject the authority of the church. They reject parental authority. Just about any authority that you want to say is out there, people are rejecting it. They just do not want to give in to it because we are our own people. We are created in our own image to be our own little gods or demigods. 
Warren Wearsby puts it this way. The cause of their rebellion is found in the word dreamers, as we see it in verse 8 of Jude. These people live in a dream world of unreality and delusion. They believe Satan's lie. Ye shall be as gods, from Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. Having turned away from God's truth, they feed their minds on false doctrine that inflates their egos and encourages their rebellion. Our pastor today in Dover is speaking on the transgender movement and the whole belief that you can be whatever you want when God says you can't. Uh, they are born male and female. And that's the way God created them. And we're living in a culture now that says you can be whatever you want, you know, as far as gender is concerned. Well, there's a big break between reality and between the word of God. Uh, and, and somehow we've got to stop this. And, and what Jude is saying is the way to stop it is to come back to what God's word says, the truth of God's word, regardless of what the world might say. And, and Jude is saying it's, it's coming into the church and what was happening in Jude's day is certainly continuing to happen in our day. The July 16th issue of World Magazine. If you're not familiar with World Magazine, I'd encourage you to become familiar with it. It's a Christian Newsweek or Time. Uh, it's been around for a lot of years. Um, but in, in the uh, uh, July 16th issue, the Baptist Convention newly elected president, Bart Barber, uh, made an interesting comment about the problem they're having in the Baptist church um, with their pastors being immoral, particularly with young people in their pastorates. And this is the word that he wrote. Uh, it's kind of shocking, but nonetheless, here it is. This is his quote, not mine. It's not like we weren't sure whether we were in favor or against pastors molesting kids in church, or we had a sexual ethic that was unclear about abuse. Now listen to this next sentence. The problem we had was people who knew it was wrong and did it anyway. Now, if that's not descriptive of the church in America today, I don't know what is. We know what is wrong, and we continue to do it in the church. A.W. Tozer wrote many years ago, Brother, if you keep reading Tozer, this church is in for a wild ride. Tozer was way ahead of his time. Um, Shortly before his death, I think it was, and I'm not sure exactly when he said this, but, and maybe I've said this here before because I've preached here many times, but he said you could take the uh, Holy Spirit out of most churches, and he was talking about Alliance churches in America today, and they wouldn't even know he's gone. And that was, that was a horrible, horrible thing to say, but he believed that. The Holy Spirit is powerful, but if we don't allow him to do what he wants to do, the church is going to fall apart was what Tozer believed. And, you know, he died in 1963, as I said. So as Bart Barber is saying, the Southern Baptist Convention's got some work to do. And so does every church in America. Not only identifying apostasy inside the church, but dealing with it. With grace, with mercy, with love, but with the truth of God's word. Verse 11 goes on to say the problem was they were walking in error. It's not that they didn't know the truth. They chose to walk in error. The way of Cain, Jude goes on to say. What was Cain's problem? Cain knew what to do and refused to do it. He decided to worship God in the wrong way, not with blood, which God indicated was the proper way, not with the proper religion, but to do it his way. Some of you here are old enough to remember a wonderful, wonderful song. I used to like it uh, until I heard somebody talk about it years ago in a Sunday school class. 
It was a song entitled My Way, sung by Frank Sinatra in 1958. I just want to read two verses out of this song. Uh, it sounded really good when you first hear it until you listen to the words. This is Frank Sinatra's rendering of My Way. I'm not going to sing it for you so you can rest. And now the end is here, and so I face that final curtain. My friend, I'll make it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I traveled each and every highway. And more, much more, I did it. I did it my way. For which, excuse me, for what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. Not to say the things that he truly feels, and not the words of someone who kneels. Let the record show. I took all the blows and did it my way. That's pretty descriptive of the Western culture. Do it my way. Not what the world says, not what Mr. Biden says or, or what, what anybody else says, but my way. That's the proper way. The Bible would say no. Balaam in the Old Testament was a legitimate prophet of God, but he decided he wanted to do it his way. He decided he wanted to take a gift that God had given to him to prophesy the word of God to the people of God. And he decided he wanted to turn around and make money off of it. And to hire his services out to a king, a secular king, and do it his way. And so that's what he tried to do. Warren Wiersbe said, Balaam was a true prophet of God, but he prostituted his gifts and sought to destroy God's people. Now, when he first received the gift of prophecy, I'm sure that was not his desire any more than these Southern Baptist pastors thought that they'd ever be involved in prostituting young kids in the church. But because they let their standards down and took their eyes off of God, they allowed this to start coming into the church. And now the church is in trouble. We go on in verse 16, the way of Korah. Korah rebelled against God and the authority of the services of God, denying that Moses was God's leader, and he rebelled against Moses as God's servant. And we so often do that. We take this book, 66 books of the Bible, 39 Old Testament, 27 New, and we pick and choose what we want to believe. We pick and choose. And we say this applies and this doesn't. This whole transgender thing, that, that, that's Old Testament stuff. It doesn't apply anymore. We've come so far. Homosexuality, that, that, that was Old Testament stuff. We've come so far. Science tells us now that there's a homosexual gene, which just isn't true. They've never proven that. And in my opinion, they never will because it's not true, biblically. So we're hearing science, people who tell us about science, tell us things that aren't true. And we choose to believe it because the Bible tells us things that we don't necessarily want to believe, which is what Jude is telling us. If we really want to have the peace and the happiness and the joy to live in this world with peace, a peace that Paul says in Philippians 4 that passes all understanding, we will know the word of God and we will apply, by the, apply the word of God and we will live by the word of God. It goes on in verses 12 and 13 to talk about, then they went on to lead falsely. You know, one of the things that scares me more than anything else being a pastor, that I will stand in the pulpit and somehow lead people in the wrong direction and someday have to stand before God and explain that to God. That just scares, scares me. It really does. Because I'm only human. I really am. 
I do the best to study the Word of God and to know the Word of God. But I'm only human. And that's why what Pastor Mike reminded us of a few moments ago is so important. We have to rely upon the Holy Spirit because the more often we continue to try to do it in our own strength, we have the ability to do it the wrong way. And that frightens me. He goes on, Jude does, to say that when we do that, we become blemishes to the church. Blemishes to the church. We become selfish shepherds. Some of you here are farmers, have been farmers, and you understand a lot about farming. Uh, I grew up on a farm, at least part of my young life, and uh, raising pigs, raising cattle. I uh, didn't raise sheep, but you know, you'll learn to protect the sheep and, uh, and the cattle and, and the pigs. Probably none of you, I don't know, any of you ever she, uh, sleep with pigs? Yeah, I, I did because you protect those pigs. And when they're giving birth to little ones, you, you want those little ones to survive because they're money. Uh, their crops or their, their livestock and you do that kind of stuff and Jude is drawing these principles by saying that these shepherds were not good shepherds they didn't care about their sheep and that's what's happening to these pastors who call themselves shepherds they were like empty clouds have you ever had your hopes up you see the clouds coming you need rain and you don't get any rain that was not the story yesterday I was down in Coshocton picking up my grandson uh, when that storm came and I was sitting in the parking lot of the Coshocton Alliance Church and I looked up over the hill and the clouds came and they came very quickly and I drove back in that storm uh, with the wind and the rain and uh, I have a little Mazda 3 uh, that's not a very heavy car and I was blowing all over the road and, and it, that storm had rain <laughs> and I was not disappointed because we needed rain but when you see a storm you expect certain results when you see trees, you expect certain results. When you see fruit trees, you expect fruit. He talks about the fruit trees as well. And a fruit tree that doesn't produce fruit brings disappointment. Not only does it bring disappointment, but at the end of the year, if there's no fruit, quite often it will dry up. And if it doesn't dry, if it does, it does dry up, quite often it will perish. Jesus talked about fig trees that way, and he cursed the fig tree and the root, and it died. But the true people, he talks about, are those that nourish themselves. Francis Schaeffer says, how do we handle this? How, how do we really get to the point where we are excited, where we can look into the life that is all around us and we can say, I'm going to be different than this. I'm not going to be apathetic. I am going to be the kind of person, the kind of Christian that challenges this. Moody once wrote that, the world is yet to see the kind of man who is dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he went on to say, I will be that man. D.L. Moody made a tremendous impact on the world. Francis Schaeffer, I told you a couple weeks ago that I'm reading through his works again. Francis Schaeffer wrote this. The kind of people I think that Jude was talking about, this is my impression of what Francis Schaeffer meant, would be this. I need to know God truly in his self-revealed existence and character. I need to know the real Christ in his person and finished work. I need a right relationship with the God who is really there. In short, I need, to know, I need a right relationship with Christ as my Savior and with the living God as my God. Nothing short 
of this is enough. Nothing short of this is enough. Now, you've heard me talk about speeding often enough. Uh, we were at a, a party last night, uh, for, you know, 50th anniversary party. And because I've talked about speeding often enough, because it's such a benign issue, somebody came up to me and started talking to me about speeding again. And so here's the issue that I often share when I talk about speeding. If we can't go up and down the highway and obey the speed limits, which are so benign, how are we ever going to handle the deeper truths of God's word? When Christ tells us to be moral people, not to get involved in immorality, or not to steal from our employer by stealing time or stealing money, how are we ever going to do those things if we can't even obey the speed limit in our communities? If we do 30 miles an hour in a 25 mile an hour zone, how are we ever going to give the time that we are required to our bosses or our employers? How are we ever going to demonstrate to our kids when we have kids what it is never to lie? How are we going to do those most important things? Francis Schaeffer says that unless I am so in love with Jesus Christ that all these seemingly little things are part of me, how am I ever going to demonstrate to a world that needs Christ that there is a better way to live and I am going to show them the validity of that way? Jude wants his readers to understand that. So he gives some guidelines, remembering the teaching of the apostles, verses 17 through 19. These you'll find in a little bit on that handout. The apostles Peter and Paul, he indicates, had already written letters. And so Jude illustrates that they have had these letters. So they have known the apostles' teaching. And he reminds them, obey the apostles' teaching. Know the apostles' teachings. Memorize the apostles' teaching. He goes on, by nurturing themselves, verses 20 and 21. Build yourselves up by knowing the apostles' teaching, by living the holy faith, by doing the holy faith. Now, if I were to come around and talk to you one-on-one, -on -one, and you were to be very honest with me, and I were to say to you, or Pastor Mike were to come to you and say, are you living the holy faith? As you understand the holy faith in the word of God, how would you honestly respond to him or to me? Are you living the holy faith? Jude would expect you to be able to say, yes, I'm living the holy faith. And if you would have to say no, he would expect you to confess and to repent and to say, I'm going to live the holy faith because I know that's what Christ would have for me to do. Then he goes on. I want you to pray in the Holy Spirit. And he's not talking about the gift of tongues here. There's a place for that. He's not talking about the gift of tongues here. He's talking about the Holy Spirit praying through you. What do you pray for? Your stubbed toe that you just stubbed on your way into church? Not necessarily. There's nothing wrong with praying that. But praying for maybe the missionaries that are traveling back to their home uh, overseas. Or maybe for some that are in Muslim countries that uh, don't even have an opportunity to go to church because there's not a church in their country because they're in a Muslim country or whatever it might be that you're going outside of yourself and you're praying outside of your family not only your family but outside of your family you're praying for the church of Jesus Christ that you're going outside of uh, of the church here and praying for needs that you're going to places like Beulah Beach to hear other people share what's going on in their hearts and in their lives he doesn't stop there he goes on that you're keeping yourself in God's love how do you love people that are different than you? How do you love the transgender people if you disagree with them so much? How do you love people who politically disagree with? How do you love President Biden if you disagree with everything that he does? How do you love Supreme Court justices who disagree with your positions? You can't do that in your own strength, people. You do that in the strength and the love of the Holy Spirit because God loves them. They may not agree with you and that's okay. You want them to come to Jesus Christ, not to yourself and your belief system. 
You want them to come to Christ. Then he goes on, expecting Christ's return. Because you know when Christ returns, everyone is going to stand before him. And those who do not know him are going to be condemned to hell for all eternity. That's not what I want for any human being. And I hope it's not what you want for any human being. But that's really what Jude talks about. And it's not a pleasant end. In the Bible Knowledge Commentary, he gives seven specific things that Jude outlines in, in his little letter. And Pastor Mike has that list. And I'm going to read through it very quickly. Uh, don't try to take notes on it. It'll be available to you if you want it. Verse 3, he talks about being willing to earnestly contend for the faith. Being earnestly willing to contend for the faith. Verse 17, remember the teachings and the warnings of the apostles. Verse 20, build yourselves up in the most holy faith, not in what the world says. You know, if you watch, I mentioned this last week, but if you watch TV much, even if you find good programs, the commercials are disgusting these days. It's hard to watch anything without being inundated with um, bad morality. It's just there. Pray in the Holy Spirit, verse 20. Keep yourselves in the love of God, verse 21. Look for the mercy of the Lord to bring you to eternal life, verse 21. And then verses 22 and 23. Show mercy to Christians who are doubting and snatch unbelievers from the fire. And then this last word, which I think is very good. Cautiously show mercy to the corrupt. There are people out there that are not ever going to come to Christ. And they're going to try to discourage you. They're going to try to frustrate you. They're going to try to get you off. Be careful with them. Certainly you want to love them. You want to try to bring them to Christ. But their whole goal may just be to, to corrupt you. Then we go on to the most exciting part of Jude's letter, verses 24 and 25. Just listen as I read or follow along in your Bible if you have it open. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless, before his glorious presence, without fault. Pastor Mike read this as a doxology the first week that we preached. And with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. When I have this picture, what I see, having come through the first part of the letter, what I see is Jude saying to these people, there's some bad stuff going on in the church. And I've told you about it. I've told you what to do, how to identify, how to deal with it. But here's what I want to remind you of. That when God looks down upon you, church, when God looks down upon you, Christian, if you're legitimately saved, what God the Father sees you, get this picture in your mind. This is exactly what Jude says. There's no doubt about it grammatically in the Greek language. What God sees in you right now is Jesus Christ and him glorified. That's what God sees in every one of you if you're saved here this morning. God does not see us in our sinful nature any longer. He sees Jesus Christ in you. He does not see the sinful nature that is there. He does not see that at all. He sees Jesus Christ in you. And what does it say Jesus Christ loves to do? To present us faultless before the heavenly Father in glory. We're not there yet. When we are born again, when we are saved, we are justified. That's theologically the term. He saves us once for all. It's the narrowest tense in the original language. That means it's done once for all. 
Glorification is in the air of tense, done once for all. That's at the end of our lives. When we are either raptured or die and are in the presence of God. In between is what Tozer called and what we call sanctification. That's how we work out our own salvation is what we call it. And, and we're working at it. But really what, what Judah is saying here is we are justified. But now what Jesus says to us is, God the Father looks at us as if we are already, and this is what we call in the alliance, the position of sanctification. We are already positionally glorified by what God has done through Jesus Christ. Wow, that was pretty weak. That is a glorious picture. Do you see the glorious nature of that? We are glorified right now because of what God has done for us. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mike. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You know what's in you, right? I still know what's in me. It's not a very pretty picture at times. I'm working on it. I'm trying to live out what God wants me to do. But I know there's still thoughts in my life at times. I'm not very... But what does God see? Do you get the picture? Tell me what God sees. Jesus. Jesus. Is there any sin in Jesus? No. So what does God see in you? Jesus. Does God see any sin in you? No. How does Jude end the letter? All the evil stuff that he's talked about? Is that stuff real? Yeah. Does he want us to know about it? Yes. Does he want us to deal with it? Yes. But how does he end it? With the doxology. Anybody remember the doxology? Do you sing the doxology here once in a while? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's how Jude wants to end so let's end that. Open your Bibles and just read with me. It doesn't matter which translation you have. Just open your Bibles to Jude. And we're all going to read verses 24 and 25 together. And again, it does not matter which translation you have. In fact, if we have multiple translations, it's going to sound even more beautiful. If you have one of the original languages and you want to read it out loud, that would be even more beautiful. But let's read verses 24 and 25 together. And then I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Mike again. I'm going to give you a moment to get there. Jude. Verses 24 and 25. Here we go. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. For the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, for all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Pastor Mike.